God, the priest of the Israelites. It's like in any if you're like going down any of the halls of the internet behind the third door is some Nazis, some Nazis with a big idea. <laughs> Which again, if it's surprising or shocking to you, like I, I'm serious. I need you to grow up. <laughs> this is real life. Unfortunately, this is real life. The fake world that they, yeah. the fake world that the Nazis want to invent is real life. And is it a shame? <laughs> yeah, but we still have to deal with it. Um, wow what an inspiring sentiment to start off yeah speaking of someone who really wouldn't abide by nazis uh should we talk about our 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 friend for the for the day yeah should we should we uh launch in do a little intro action oh yeah that's right we didn't introduce the show who wants to do it yeah we could probably cut in at a certain point Um, but i feel like ioni maybe you should as our as our guide through the world of anarchism hey in that case Welcome everyone. You've now you've reached you've reached pinnacle podcasting, and you're here at Smite Me, the Torah podcast. Where lately we really <laughs> don't talk about the Torah that much, but you know that's I think that's good for us. It's good for you, possibly good for the world. Who knows? Um, I'm here with my lovely co-hosts, Josh. What's up, everybody? And John. Howdy, partners. We're not physically together right now for the first time in a while. Yep, it's been it's the Ambikram. It's the Abercrombie and Fitch <laughs> variant of of the play. Wow! Uh-huh. And uh, and today we're going to be doing. I guess we have to figure out some other title for it. This is another not quite Jew in the new, but this is like <laughs> she's a Jew in the old. This is yeah. <laughs> this is a new episode style called Jews in History. Jews, the smite me like Jewish Hall of Fame. So far, it's it's her Norman the Sandman. So <laughs> that feels yeah. right, though. Illustrious company. Yeah. So we're gonna be talking about uh, uh, a figure who went by the name of Emma Goldman. Who's Emma Goldman? Uh, she was a writer. You know, she's a she was a speaker. She was a f- philosopher. You could even say she was pretty known for being an anarchist. And she was Jewish. So there you go. Those are all Ish. the credentials you need to get an episode about uh, Smite Me on you. She was like the person who people who scream about cancel culture think they are. Or she literally, she had ideas that were so revolutionary in the late 1800s and early 1900s in the U.S. that she was literally a public enemy and got tossed out of the country. Oh, yeah. She was canceled big time. She holds the title of most dangerous woman in America for a little bit. Um, uh-huh. And she did not commit that much crime. Yeah. She at one point said they're deporting me for talking. Um, yeah. Which is a big <laughs> for run- flex. For running my damn mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's a fascinating person and someone who, unfortunately, you don't hear a ton of about, at least in 
the little mainstream Jewish circles that we ran in growing up, not certainly not in mainstream public schooling, etc. Sure. But we wanted to do a, a deep dive on what she's about. She has a lot to say that still addresses the present moment, even though she was saying it over 100 years ago. I didn't know much about her or about anarchism, and I was really impressed by both, to be honest. I found it very moving, some of the ideas that were in there. I was going to ask you both what your kind of level of exposure to like anarchist thought was going into this i i knew it was more complicated than just like anarchy they just want to like smash police cars and like spray paint the a in the circle on stuff like i knew there was more to that like i'd known some kids in college who were anarchists and were like really thoughtful i just like had never heard the full scoop about it but i kind of just knew there was more depth there so yeah so i just i didn't know i knew there was more to know about it but i just didn't didn't know that much about it and Emma Goldman, I never heard about until I got to college and I was reading this novel, Ragtime, um, by E.L. something Doctoro. And it's like this kind of historical Fantasia book where like J.P. Morgan's a character and Emma Goldman's there. And it's just kind of like she shows up and I was like, oh, she sounds kind of interesting, but pretty a pretty cursory knowledge of both to start with. Nice. What about you, John? I didn't know I didn't know that much about her individually. Uh, I think I first heard about her when we were, had Max on, and he just kind of casually mentioned her when we were talking about like Jewish, like lefty labor union people. Um, but yeah, the ideas were were relatively familiar. I've, I've, I've dipped my toe in this, this chaotic little little pond before. Um, yeah, well, perfect. I'm into it. I mean, and Emma Goldman is kind of unique in that if you're an american who's even though it's like yeah this is over a hundred years later if you're an american coming to the ideas of uh of anarchy and anarchism she literally made her career explaining anarchism to americans um so she's kind of like as perfect a person to like sort of enter the world of of that philosophy as you could probably have um so the only uh, – this is not my first go-around uh, in terms with the philosophy and all that. The thing I will say is people who are kind of from more like liberal-ish circles or whatever might be familiar with a quote of hers that basically goes along the lines of, if I can't dance in your revolution, then I don't want to be a part of your revolution, which is an interesting thing because the, the, the figurehead of Emma Goldman kind of popped back up in the uh, late 70s as part of that kind of wave of feminism. Um, and they kind of like took together a lot of different things to make that quote, even though she never quite said it like that. And then sort of kind of like a lot of liberal movements of the late 70s into the early 90s sort of dropped all the radical aspects of who this character was. But what if it was, was just for white women only? Yeah. Kind of. What if it was just about dancing? Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> what if like, – I feel like people are like – like it started by her saying that to be like we should have joy in our in our politics. And then I feel like people are using it to like advertise Zumba classes and shit. I can only imagine. Oh, that's definitely <laughs> on a neon sign in like a, a club in New York. Where that's also a co-working space. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. You know? It's because people who have power are fucking bastards. Shall we get into our little bio? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's was... not an Emma Goldman quote, but, like, it is. <laughs> she, mm-hmm. she said it. She made it. Yeah, she basically said that. Yeah. Uh-huh. She said that as much yeah. as she said the dance thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. She should have completed the dance quote and been like, but not in, like, a dumb, embarrassing white lady way. Like, come on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not like that video of, like, uh, Amy Klobuchar supporters dancing. 
anyone's ever seen that one. Are you thinking about? Are you thinking of high? Are you thinking of Mayor Pete supporters? Or are you thinking of the High Hopes dance? A separate dance, but a similar vibe. Okay. Anyway, okay. who the hell is Emma Goldman? <laughs> who the hell is Emma Goldman? All right. So I, I got. I'm going to try to also. As I was doing the research for this, I'm going to try to do a pretty overall and pretty just broad-based facts biography of her for a couple reasons. One, because uh, she's a well-known character. If you want to find all the anecdotes or whatever, she was a badass lady. Like, you can find them. They're great to read. I also thought it was really interesting how I I saw – I listened to most of the bi- biography you guys listened to, which was kind of coming from like a a similarly like leftist communist lens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also listened to two other biographies from mainstream sources, um, and I thought it was really interesting that one of them uh, was just kind of like gross in the sense that they were like Emma Goldman, revolutionary of the like early nineteen hundreds. For love, because she liked to write about how sexual gratification is an important part of life, um, which that was kind of gross. And then the other one was literally just uh, uh, a a show where called uh, I think it was called like Female Criminals, and it was all just <laughs> <laughs> lady bad ladies, bad ladies. It's like Emma Goldman and, and Ghislaine Maxwell and Elizabeth Holmes just. I'll just like what's up? Or you might as well just call a show like Lady Cops. Like I feel like there's just a little bit of an implication there. Oh yeah, like the premise is fucked up, and then also the person in the show makes different points where they go like, "Hey, I'm just gonna remind you that I am not a licensed psychologist. I haven't studied any of these things," and then just follows it up with just like a fucking diagnosis of like what these these fucking criminals are doing and why they might mm. do that and the show i don't know if they meant to also just framed activism as like kind of a symptom of like they did not mean to but i was just like she wasn't idealistic she was just crazy <laughs> right which is just uh-huh. like okay well whenever so again we're, we're gonna not do any of those things and hopefully in the course of smite me's existence we never go hey i'm not a licensed psychologist and then <laughs> proceed but, to make a well, fucking I would hope we never say that because all three of us are licensed psychologists. <laughs> That's and, true. And the Goldman's... We met at licensed psychologist school. <laughs> yeah, so. I actually hand out diagnoses on the street. Unprompted. <laughs> I literally throw the book at people. I throw the DSM at people. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, let's hop into it. All right, Emma Goldman. Okay, she's this Jewish lady born in uh, Kaunas, which is in modern-day Lithuania. Back then, it was the Russian Empire. Kind of also worth noting that right around this time, like, politics in Europe is going to go fucking a little wacky-wacky. Because everything is basically uh, run by, like, constitutional monarchies. And people are really starting to figure out that, like, you can't really have that. You can't really have someone who's an absolute monarch and then also say that, like, oh, yeah, but people need representatives. So this is also six years after the emancipation of the serfs in uh in russia which was it, it's a it's a whole thing basically there was a special medieval kind of slavery that was still legal in russia until uh 1863 i think and then six years later in 1869 emma goldman is born russia's kind of in chaos not quite chaos but shit's shit's a little bit you know wiggity empire is starting to Show some cracks. The empire's starting to show some cracks, and colonialism is kind of ramping up to into its like final form. 
because the scramble for Africa hasn't quite happened yet, but, like, people are, are about to realize that, like, they can be a lot brutaler. Not that they weren't brutal before, but shit's, a, yeah, shit's about to get wild. Also, just fun fact, she was born the same year as uh, Grigory Rasputin, the uh, fucking three-legged horse whisperer himself, and the same year. <laughs> Wait, did he have a big one? Yeah, he Is had a fucking that? enormous cock. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, uh, people saw it. It's verified. People, saw it. people. Well, it was a known. Well, I entity. would hope so. He pulled it out a lot. I would hope he. I would hope he didn't keep that thing in a bushel basket. <laughs> no. Um, and then also, this is the same year that uh, the banking company Goldman Sachs was formed. That's just a fun fact. Um, mm. Gee, that's why they named it. It's for Emma Goldman. I no, not yeah, not related, <laughs> but you know, Jews. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, her she was born to an Orthodox Jewish family, and generally described it as like overall unloving, like bad, bad. Her dad was a really kind of uh, sexist, shit for brains, like barely a business person. Like, if you're a business person, you presumably at one point make money in your life off of your business, but I don't think he ever does. Um, Is he a scrub? Yeah, he a scrub. He's just. He's yeah. a failure, and he took it out on Emma. Yeah, so she was kind like. of beaten all the time, um, and she was kind of also living in this the Russian Empire, so like it was pretty common for her to see people being beaten in the street. Um, they lived in a Jewish ghetto at one point. Yep, she got um, beat at she school. She had to work in a corset factory, to put a little too fine of a point on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so basically, like you could kind of see from the beginning, she probably doesn't have a particularly favorable view towards authority figures even as a child since every single one she uh kind of came across just beat the shit out of her which that that didn't like crush her spirit or anything like that um basically she started to sort of starts to engage in politics after she kind of hears about the uh sar being fucking blown up by a bunch of nihilists it's like a fun fact and then basically she tries to go to school her dad is like na 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 no women don't go to school and says some really horrible stuff so basically skipping over some uh some some anecdotes and whatever she ends up emigrating to rochester new york with her sister and begins working with a seamstress at a factory um this is after she like had to beg her father to let her go and threatened to kill herself and then they ended up just kind of following them to new york city because of fucking cossacks and shit like uh because you know when it rains it it pours <laughs> yeah what a what a cursed family life <laughs> yeah hers oh, is truly cursed but basically her yeah. family's out of the picture when she gets married and ends up divorcing her first husband because he he's he's kind of he's he's not dickless but they, they, they don't get to fuck at all, and she's not really, like, into that. Um, and I say that now because par- part of her philosophy is about uh, having sexual gratification as, like, a r- human right. So, so was and she just not He was just not laying the proper pipe, or? I don't think he could really lay the it? pipe. I think, uh. He was, uh, I think he was more of a carpenter than a plumber. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't think too much about that metaphor. I'm thinking far too much about <laughs> yeah, it. Don't. Um, so right. basically her family kicks her out of her home that she made in fucking New York City without them. But, you know, this is the early 1800s that she, or the late 1800s that shit could happen. And she heads on down to New York City. Mm-mm. The starting place of every great story with not but a sewing machine and five dollars. Which I forgot to look up, but five dollars is not an insignificant amount of money back then. Oh. Um, kind of reminds me of Scrappy Coco. 
if it's just do mm, do not. Scrappy <laughs> <laughs> okay. Coco of Don't Mess with the Zohan. If you missed our instant classic on that movie, yeah. Um, so she's kind of uh, while she's down there, she hears about the events of the uh, Haymarket affair in Chicago. Which uh, does one? Do either one of you guys want to give us a little summary of that? I can also do it too. It was basically. Well, how did it start off? Like it was a strike. It was a general strike in Chicago. Yes, general strike in Chicago. The cops come to bust it up. Um, which, as in at that time in history, if you were an urban police force, your job was a lot of it was just beating up people on strike. Yep, because that was illegal to be on strike or to be in a union. Um, so anyway, yeah, someone, they don't know quite who, tossed a bomb in the midst of this already very tense situation, um, and then just a bloodbath basically ensues, uh, tons of strikers get killed, a couple cops get killed, probably by other cops they've later figured out, which is, oh yeah, you never want to laugh at someone's death, but I, I, I do have to say just the idea of like, I don't know. There's just some like weird slapstick quality to all. Oh, this. I mean, it's it's hilarious. Um, just like it's hilarious when cops get COVID, and it's hilarious when cops like snort a bunch of fucking ketamine laced drugs, and then are or not ketamine, a bunch of fentanyl laced drugs, and then are like, uh, the fentanyl got on my fingernail. Like, it's not happy that they lost their life, but it's just the the comedy of it cannot be lost um we could just chalk it up as one of the least surprising things to happen in this story yeah water's wet cops shoot each other when they're trying to shoot strikers yeah Uh uh-huh and also surprise surprise the the blame for this whole um you know this whole outbreak falls on a, a couple anarchists who were there they go on trial in a bit of a kangaroo court like fashion um and they get sentenced to death is that right that's yep that's pretty much it there's and um then some of them get executed and some of them get pardoned yeah they don't get pardoned for a couple decades oh like posthumously pardoned uh i think a few of them are posthumously pardoned and some of them were just like sentenced to some ridiculous amount of of time behind bars mm-hmm. and then they later got their sentences much later yeah. got their sentences commuted um and and this is like the kind of foundational moment of emma goldman's life this happening right and then i don't mean to spoil the rest of the story this will happen more than one time (laughs) where sort of something happens and then they're just like well we know that the anarchists didn't do it but what if we executed them anyways yeah violence yeah someone did (laughs) violence on some labor people so probably the anarchists who are with the labor people did it should be blamed for it yeah yeah um so basically uh she's uh Actually, what's interesting too that strike was they were calling for the eight hour work or the eight hour work day, which is something that's kind of interesting because we in the modern age definitely have to thank a lot of the people at the uh, the Haymarket strike for what they were doing. Um, oh, certainly, yeah, 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 right. People who, if you're like some ultra right wing, whatever, warning of like you know anarchists and strikes and all these demonstrations and chaos. It's like anarchist strikes, demonstrations, and chaos got us like. The eight-hour work week, minimum wage, the yeah. lack of child labor, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, if you it, like most of the stuff that you accept as like part of a regular job, people literally around this time period were fucking shot and killed for advocating for it. Um, 
Yeah. So just a little bit of historical perspective there. Anyways, Emma, she kind of meets up with all these these anarchists that are hanging out in oh, New York City, very nefarious. Oh. Um, and and uh, It's like that scene, the Star Wars cantina scene, but they're all like Russians with silly glasses on. Yeah. They're all Russian Jews who are just like, what if states weren't? Um, <laughs> and basically she kind of meets with this one guy named Johan Most. Um, who is kind of a like pretty prominent anarchist speaker, um, and he sort of takes her under his wing and kind of shows her the 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 how to dos of being like a public speaker. She's fucking loves it, but then the first time she gives a speech, she's kind of doing one of Johann Most's speeches that he wrote, and she's like, "Nah, like this is kind of whack." It's uh, – I feel like I kind of have a – I could write my words and be able to express them better. Right around this time, she also meets her longtime partner and lover, Alexander Berkman, also a Russian-Jewish uh, immigrant who is an anarchist. And they, they, they fall in love, and they, they have a, whole, a grand old time. And basically, while they're sort of in there like, oh, we're kind of living together with some other anarchist phase, they learn about another little labor uh, – event happening known as the homestead strike which i'm not going to get super much uh into but basically there was uh um it was a steel mill run, uh, owned by andrew carnegie of carnegie hall and the, they wanted to go on strike and they were like man fuck uh maybe fuck the union and all that it's another labor event where a lot of people get killed during a demonstration well, it's like a war it's like they had like snipers yeah. and armed pinkertons it wasn't like you know, ooh, people with signs. It was like everybody was strapped Two, up. Two, four, six, eight. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah. <not. laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone, everyone, not, well, not quite everyone. Lots of people there had guns um, yeah. on the union side, too. There were some people who were definitely like, well, if they don't want to let us work in the factory, maybe we just kill them. Um, and guess what? Uh, Alexander Berkman kind of has the same idea. So uh, uh, she and kind of Berkman sort of hatch this plot to go kill the uh, uh, Henry Clay Frick, who was the strike breaker dude, basically. Propaganda of the deed. Yes, which gets us into a pretty key anarchist uh, principle known as propaganda of the deed, uh, where basically uh, I'm going to make it a little bit shorter. Uh, basically, it's like, hey, if you want people to, like, overthrow and kill their presidents and kings and whatever, uh, just do it yourself. You got to start small. Yeah. <laughs> I love... In the startup world, we like to call it minimum viable product. <laughs> um, just kidding. That's a, it's a d- insulting like... example, probably, if you're an anarchist. I like the idea, though, of, like, any time just someone not understanding the concept and just any any time you take someone's life, they're like, ah, Propaganda of the deed again. <laughs> um, at, at 90 years old, my grandfather died of propaganda <laughs> of the deed. <laughs> Just, yeah, that's not that he got is, it. He got it real bad. Yeah. So Berkman goes and tries to assassinate Henry Clay Frick, and I say tries to because he is miraculously unsuccessful. It's kind of Weird. insane. It's, yeah, he like shoots him in the neck. He stabs him, but he still because the other the guy's workers don't take his side and fucking pull him off of him. I'm surprised our guy died. Our guy didn't die, to be honest. Yeah. So... Well, he said he said he didn't want to kill him. He's like, let him live. I'll break the strike anyway, or something like that. Which is pretty fucking stone cold if someone just stabbed you and shot you in the neck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what would have happened if Henry Clay Frick had been assassinated or whatever, but. 
in general, this kind of got the anarchist movement some pretty uh, bad press because uh, people were just like, "Yee." <laughs> well, it's sort of like they did the thing everyone who is against them warned about, where it's like they just want chaos, they just want yeah, you know, violence, and then they, you know. Yeah. Wait. So, what, did Emma plan that with him? I kind of want. I kind of want to spend some time on this because this is probably my yeah, favorite part of the whole story. Involved in it, she. What, her role was secret, was more secret. It wasn't like, I came, me and Emma, he, she didn't go with him, but mm-hmm. she helped raise money to buy the gun by being a, po- a prostitute. Oh, that's briefly. right. She, she um, like, uh, she went out on the street and then some guy hired her and was like, yeah, don't do this. No more. Is that I what could, happened? Yeah. I could kind of imagine that she was just like talking about anarchist theory and they were just like look ah. <laughs> that's so funny this is gonna be so important yeah yeah um uh-huh so yeah i think i, I don't know i think this um i think the reason that it, it also got uh them bad press was because i think generally speaking like the union tactic was to sort of be on the end of like look we're not asking for anything unreasonable we're not, you know, we're fighting for something that's that we want, right? We want to just work and have a proper wage. We don't need to like kill the people who yeah. run. And then the this factory. guy comes in, he's like, "No, I want your fucking jugular, bro." Yeah, yeah. I want... Right, like they were probably uh, on a on a further radical edge than a lot of the just you know workday people at this plant were. Right. Well, and it's by also then compromising their whole, f- not compromising it, but by just throwing their effort in this whole new direction at like gets beyond what they were asking it for. also fucks all... up the strike yeah yes and it and it gets crushed strikers yeah, like... will get mad at you for like less than that like you gotta you gotta let them lead don't just be stabbed out here stabbing necks for nabisco or whatever yeah. i don't know well, I, was... I mean that's the tension and like oh sorry well i was just th- thinking about it just in terms of like okay first of all like satire parody parody satire but it's like yeah man like we all have thought about like it would be cool to kill jeff bezos but it's like you can't just go for it because you're not gonna succeed he's one of the most powerful dudes i don't know it's like they 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 got too high on their own supply and they thought well yeah it's just so funny for them to be like let's just kill the guy let's just kill the big bad yeah the big bad guy and the energy in the circles they were in they were probably so like thrilled that this labor conflict was happening in a certain way like this kind of radical break is starting to emerge in society it's like this evidence that the people are ready for this like yeah you know post-capitalist world like i don't know like i can just imagine them sitting in one of these cafes like drunk excited all hooking up with each other just like yeah yeah we're gonna do it yeah and i think they sort of realized that because like a bunch of their fucking anarchist friends sort of like denounce them and are just like oh no this guy is a fucking uh weirdo and like he doesn't stand for what the anarchists stand for which is like that's untrue but (laughs) yeah that that's that was kind of a fascinating moment i was a little surprised like i get that they didn't like the negative attention they got but it is also sort of like yeah, they weren't like doing something so far off. Yeah, and and I think that that kind of, I think you know, in a way, it's that kind of in the within the anarchist movement kind of split people because it was like there's some people who kind of maybe thought that like yeah, I think they jumped the gun, but like generally that was a good idea, and then there were people yeah, who they, were like yeah, oh, we need to distance ourselves from this as as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So impossible to know. Her lover goes to prison at Berkman. You know, he's he's 22 years is what he's sentenced to. Don't worry, though. 
Emma Goldman's going to go to prison very soon too. Um, <laughs> a bunch of times. <laughs> a bunch of times. So I read a thing about her just carrying around a book because she went to prison so much that there, she was just was like never sure when she was going to go. So she's like, I might as well have it. <laughs> have it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Little Lisa Simpson ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, she, during a, a market crash uh, around uh, 1893, she uh, kind of gives this like really awesome speech to the people and really riles them up. And um, some some what society would argue are well-to-do folks, but I would argue are are just kind of shithead snitches basically hear the speech and they're like oh no so she gets charged with inciting a riot um and then at her trial the fucking prosecution is basically just like listen to what this woman believes and the jury is just like ah so they throw her in prison yeah which yeah that's where we get the famous emma goldman thing about like go to the rich and demand work if they don't give you work demand bread if they don't give you bread take the bread yep fucking badass yeah, and unlike and the fucking dance. Torah, she knows how to fucking write and speak so well. She, I feel like, yeah, even the, some of the stuff you're reading is like 110, 120 years old, but it, you're just like, this sounds great. It, like, I don't know. It's still very it powerful. Yeah. She knew what, what she was doing. Yep. Uh, so she goes to prison, and actually in the case of like most radicals at this time, uh, going to prison is just not a very big deal. She just gets time to read <laughs> and learns how to be a midwife, basically. Um, yeah. You, so good use like of her time. Like Emerson and like Oliver Wilde and stuff. Yeah. Um, so then basically uh, her next little bit of, of public life is this weird guy, uh, Leon Chaglaz? Chiglaz? I heard it pronounced chill, chill gauze, like chill gossip. It's said um, with a California vocal fry, like chill gauze. <laughs> chill gauze, dude. It is, um, I heard a little bit of chill gauze. Yeah, basically, he uh, he killed fucking President McKinley, very famous person, the president of the United States. That one, <laughs> um, uh, and he was he was honestly he was probably like mentally ill and had like kind of tried to hang out in Emma Goldman's kind of circle of friends or whatever. But I think it was really funny that no one wanted to hang out with him because they thought he was an informant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they were like cop. Yeah, so he's like, oh, I'll sh- I'll show you informant. Yeah, yeah. Um, I could. I just. Uh, it's like it really is that Steve Buscemi memes of like, hello, fellow children, like. Yeah, like, hey guys, would you like to do some propaganda some overthrowing of the, of the world order? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, the basically though, she uh, she gets caught up in it because this guy sort of in his testimony said that Emma Goldman told him to do it, and then later said that she didn't. It seems like they never really interacted. Um. So, uh, but then she still kind of defends him, right? She's like, she, she kind of, yeah. yeah. She, um, so cool. She's like, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool that he did she's that. She's like, I don't think you should kill the president, but I don't think you should be mad that someone – or like – but you also have to understand that the world is so bad that it makes people want to kill the president. Yeah. I, basically, okay. her main thing was like I th- as, as sort of I understood it is like he wasn't wrong to do that. Like uh-huh. it was just like he kind of did it for a wrong reason in the sense that he's probably very clearly sick and is kind of yeah. like not understanding – what would happen but that's not an illogical way to like deal with the world 
But also, dude, don't go running your mouth and being like, I did it for Emma Goldman, who yeah. would think <laughs> it's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was very, like, we'll, we'll probably get deeper into her, like, what she had to say, but she and other anarchists have a very keen sense that, like, there are a lot of different kinds of violence out there. And, like, so, you know, say someone goes and kills the president, like, you know, the president is one of the most powerful, violent people on earth. Mm-hmm. McKinley is a huge imperialist. You know, it's sort of like, or it's like if you had, let's, or say an anarchist tossed the bomb at Haymarket Square, right? Yeah. So you have these cops like beating the hell out of strikers, and then someone throws a bomb at the cops, and it's sort of like, well, how could you be violent? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so they just have a sense that like the government, the police have their own forms of violence. So it, like when a citizen does it, it's not some special, horrible thing. If anything, it's like a response to the a, th- a big the part of uh, anarchism as a whole. Not necessarily like what Emma Goldman writes about, but a big part of it is that like you're allowed to defend yourself from the state, and you're allowed like when people mean to do you violence, you're allowed to defend yourself with violence. Like that's that that's kind of like a within the philosophy. That's like a fundamental. Like that's it's not only allowed. Like that's the ethical thing to do. Mm-hmm. Is that when people are are seeking to like eradicate you or whatever that you fight back, which is different from what propaganda of the the, the deed is too. It's it, mm-hmm. it, shit's complicated, um, but basically uh, she kind of starts this whole like she starts a publication and is like getting really uh, famous, going on speaking tours or whatever. A lot of those tours uh, and uh, speeches end up becoming part of this book, Anarchism and Other Essays, which is probably her most seminal. Uh, piece of writing um a lot of different things happen where she goes to prison uh they try to get her uh to leave on the uh there was this i didn't know it was called this there's literally a, a a law that was passed called the anarchist exclusion act that basically tried to just say no more of them um yeah and then uh she, she sometimes chained herself through a podium because she thought the cops would haul her off yeah again is so cool <laughs> she uh she gets imprisoned for advocating and distributing birth control um she has a you'll also occasionally see a pretty disingenuous because around this time she's kind of against the uh or she says a lot of stuff against like women being able to vote but it's really not well, so much that it's women being able to vote she just thinks voting is dumb yeah her that that was like out of all her essays the, those were the ones that interested me the most were the ones where She's kind of she's not going against women's suffrage. She says like I don't think suffrage will make anything worse. I just I don't think it'll make anything better either. Like Yeah. Or she's kind of just like in in a lot of places like Oh yeah, it's just participating in a system that's bad. It's like governments do awful things all the time that are perfectly legal and constitutional and people voted them into power. Right. So she's like, kind of like you... she's not using this language obviously, but she's kind of like calling out like woke imperialism or whatever and just being like yeah like you can have like women and black people voting but if it's still this system it's not just going to magically reform itself yeah yeah um so her final kind of shitbagging attempt that happens that works is uh after when uh world war one starts and she's like i i mean shocker right she's like hey maybe none of this bullshit and definitely not a fucking draft um like you shouldn't be allowed you shouldn't be forced to fucking go fight an imperialist war against your will um yeah the united states is like boo gross we hate we it. love free speech but you actually you're not allowed to that's that's one of the ones you can't say yeah 
So she gets charged under the Espionage Act. This has happened to like a lot of people from this era um, that were that were famous or whatever. It's a sham trial, as these things usually are. And she and Berkman end up being deported back to Russia. Berkman's out of prison now. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gets deported back to Russia, which is fun, right? Because it's like, oh, look, they're in the middle of the Russian Civil War, and like the Bolshevik Revolution is like happening. Well, a bunch of fucking revolutions are happening. <laughs> uh, we ha- we don't really get taught very well in the U.S. like what the Russian Revolution is. It's kind of just like uh, people got pissed, um, but there's like there's probably like legitimately probably around like five different factions who all sort of have at each other and form yeah. temporary alliances and whatnot. But uh, you know, basically, she she lives there for a little bit. She's kind of she and Berkman are kind of like, oh, okay, this is cool. It's like this new Soviet system. People have like, you know, they can advocate for themselves. It's better than having a fucking czar. Yeah, um, and some anarchists weren't so thrilled about the coming, you know, Soviet world because it's sort of like it's still a government. It's still imposing decisions on people who might not necessarily want to do what the people in power say. Well, isn't that kind of what she was? It's still a powerful was? state. Well, eventually, but at the time, she sort of was willing to, I don't know, give him a chance yeah in a way that some anarchists weren't because it was you know the rush you know a, the soviet state's still a, a powerful state it's just a different kind yeah it's still centralized power which anarchists in general are not a fan of um but basically what happens is she kind of like meets and talks to some of the she seems like fine with the broader soviet system of organization and in particular is not really into like bolshevism where like the party dictates sort of what everyone does um, and all that. And then she even gets to meet with Lenin and it's just kind of like, hey, what about, uh, you know, free speech and like all these things that are necessary for human beings to feel free? And he's like, what? What's yeah, the fuck he, calls he calls him bougie for his <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, speech is a bourgeois affectation. Like, Shut up, Lib. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're lame. Yeah. Which is very funny. Um, oh, I want to talk about my feelings and wine and complain. Yeah. Um, so then basically she gets shit bagged out of the, out of uh Russia because she ends up backing a, a worker strike. Yeah, it's like a anti Bolshevik Soviet worker strike. Or like she sailors up, yeah. or something. She yeah. ends up backing it. Uh and they don't like her no more. She ends up writing two books about her time in Russia called My Disillusionment in Russia. And then uh Berkman at some point tries to commit suicide, dies. It's you know, whatever. Wait, so he, he succeeds. I mean, the way that it framed it is he didn't, and then, well, I mean, he, a D minus, we'll say, a D D minus suicide. <laughs> he tried to commit oh suicide gosh. and died several days later. Um, oh yeah, not the yeah. best, not the best, not, not the best. Uh, yeah. So her final hurrah is kind of when she's also uh, again kind of super badass, um, and she is invited to uh, Catalonia after the Spanish Revolution. And civil war begins. Another topic in the U.S. history uh, we don't really cover all that often. But uh, uh, basically, at part of the civil war that erupted after the fascists tried to do a coup, that was not... They ultimately came to power, so I guess the coup was successful. But again, maybe like D-minus on the coup attempt, because it took them several years. Um but basically, right after the uh, the fascists tried to do a coup, 
uh, Catalonia and a couple other places in southern France basically declared like an anarchist revolution, um, which is a super interesting kind of cool thing that they get up to. Emma gets invited to, to join up uh, in Catalonia and Barcelona, and she works to support the Federación Anarquista Ibérica and the Confederación Nacional del Trabajo, which translates to the Federation of Iberian Anarchists and the Confederation of National Labor. Um, so she basically is like doing propaganda for them and she like goes to London and like represents them and is just kind of trying to get the world to be like, look, look at what anarchism is. These are people who are like formerly powerless and now they're happy and like they can fucking, you know, they're in the middle of a war. very tied to like unions, like anarcho syndicalists. Yes. Anarchism expressing itself through worker groups deciding things. Yeah. Um, and they're sort of part of this. They end up joining with this broader coalition to fight the fascists, um, which means that they kind of join – who are obviously being backed by fucking Italy and the Nazis, if you're surprised by that. Again, we're, yeah. we're going to circle all the way back. <laughs> going to need you to grow up here. Um, and then the uh, coalition forces of the former government are kind of backed by Joseph Stalin and the Soviets. Um, and she kind of is like, hey, like – anarchists like we probably shouldn't work too closely with like the the coalition government because at the end of the day like they're uh, they're communists and republicans and they're not like you know they don't really share our values um and but they do and that ends up sort of being a little bit of their downfall because uh while she's away basically what happens is that the communist forces attack all of the anarchist communes um and they shut that shit down because, you know, wh- whether you're on the right or the left, if you if you believe in strong central government, you kind of hate anarchists. Um, and you definitely hate it when they join together and form a big old group. Um, so after that, you know, she's not doing so hot. After the Spanish Civil War, she moves to, to Canada. You know, she lives there for a little bit. It's fine. Then, uh, then you know, she uh, strokes out and dies. That's the end. That's the end of her life. Um, I put in my notes here, as Emma Goldman would have wanted, no heroes, no gods, no masters. You don't have to fucking worship this person. She's just a cool person. Mm-hmm. So that's her Emma. little bio. And Josh, you have something a little bit to bring us into yeah. the, the the J-O-O. Uh, the J- yes, the J-O. <laughs> the well, I think... She did, not, part of she my... did not respect anyone's authority. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> One of my... Well, I think... One of the reasons I was interested in Emma Goldman is because she, as we heard in her bio, she was present at like so many important moments in history as an active player. Um, And so you'd think in a Jewish institution, whether it was our synagogues or our camp or even the Jewish groups I encountered on on college, like never heard about her pretty much at all. And it just kind of surprised me. Um, But if you look back at her life through that lens you'll understand why like a pretty mainstream american liberal would not really hold her up in the same way they would hold up like a ruth bader ginsburg who you know was like a legal genius who made important contributions but was ultimately like you know a nice jewish girl who went to law school um yeah which is not to diminish any of the things she did no no i mean massively important but like Ruth Bader Ginsburg does not want to like overthrow the whole government and the economy and every foundation of popular culture. Like yeah. in the way that Emma Goldman pretty much opposes everything that was 
present at the time. Um, so yeah, okay. So she grew up Jewish. She saw anti-Semitism in her own life. Um, but it doesn't seem like it's like that's the defining lens that she looks at the oppression that she experienced or that like the impression the oppression she would go to fight against. It was more like she just saw powerful imperial agents harassing the Jews and she saw powerful factory owners harassing immigrants that she saw powerful patriarchal men harassing the women in their life. So that was more the, so the lens. She, she was able to like draw the correct takeaways from it. I mean, not correct, but like, correct. yeah, but it was just a more expansive, like version of what was going on. And it's, it's interesting too, because do you see that a lot with like the group of New York Jewish anarchists in particular? that she kind of ran with is they're all very aware of their Judaism. They're all anti-religious, but they're not like, yeah, and now that we're not religious, we're just like the other white people. They're still very much aware that they're like, oh no, they hate us. Yeah. Well, and, and so not only just that she had that like great sense of class awareness, but she was also very skeptical of religion itself. Um, I found a nice uh, quote from her. Let's see. God has created a kingdom so despotic, so tyrannical, so cruel, so terribly exacting that naught but gloom and tears and blood have ruled the world since gods began. Anarchism rouses man to rebellion against this black monster. So that's how she feels about religion. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not like the ultimate. Called God yeah. a black monster. Wow. Yeah, it's like the ultimate form of making people submit to something more powerful than them and like kind of go against their own desires and thoughts and morality so she hates religion um and then she uh also again brings the same kind of sophisticated analysis to the question of israel and zionism because at the end of her life is sort of the you know the beginnings of israel moving towards statehood and her take on that is basically just that like you know refugees should have the right to safety so she's like sympathetic to the the people who wanted to settle in Israel because they were fleeing persecution elsewhere. But she's also like, just because you have that right to settle somewhere doesn't mean you can just like kick all the Arab people out who've been living there for a long time. And she also kind of, again, just pretty, I think in a pretty sophisticated way, sees the way that like she has a lot more in common with like a Christian worker or a Muslim worker than like some rich Jew who loves the state of Israel. So she's kind of just like, it's built on this kind of like artificial grouping that is like all Jews worldwide where she's sort of like, you know, the rich Jews might've owned the factories that I was working in and, and like having a terrible time, like just cause it's Israel and just cause it's Jewish doesn't mean there's like suddenly the oppression ends like class right. is the oppression. It's kind of like what she was saying about like women about suffrage. Like she was like, just cause you get some ladies in there with what nice white pantsuits on doesn't mean that. They're just mm-hmm. gonna make better law. Like we have yeah. to, we have to actually restructure society instead of just put totally. In and she people. was also even like, even if you start like this cool farmer commune in Israel, like if you have this like weird anarchist little blip in the middle of this like sea of oppression, like it's probably not gonna last, and it's like not really blameless. So she was pretty skeptical of the whole thing. Um, she though, also died in 1940, right? So like eight years yeah. before like the official i mean not that there weren't already people there but yeah um she also has an interesting thought on like fighting the uh in like world war ii and fighting the nazis which i thought was interesting where she was just kind of like 
like, yeah, go fight the Nazis, but it's kind of silly to watch, like, fascists in disguise fight fascists in uniform. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, though I will say I found two things that I thought were kind of interesting details that would be important to think about. One of which is that, like, you know, she got great acclaim going around the country, talking to people of all different classes. And she was doing it in English, German, and in Yiddish, which, number one, is just impressions, Im- impressive, but also just a sign that, like, she was trying to reach Jewish people, but she just wasn't doing it about Judaism or, like, through the lens of Judaism. But she right. understood that, like, a poor Jewish immigrant needs to hear what she's saying the same way anyone else does. I think it's interesting, uh, too, because that's it speaks to the kind of, like, people will use it kind of disingenuously when they're talking about early Zionism because it was uh, a mostly secular idea. And I think it's just, like... Again, it just goes back to that thing where, like, they they all understand that, like, they're second-class citizens where they live, but they also don't have this – the same religious sort of um, undertone that they carry with them in the way that we do now, Mm -hmm. kind of. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always hard to be the person who looks at a movement that's been assembled around an identity and be like, actually, this identity is kind of a construct and, like, we don't all have the same things in common. Yeah. It's kind of akin to me to people who called out like earlier waves of feminism for being sort of like, if you're not actually including all women in a meaningful way, then you can't just say like, this is the women's movement. Yeah. This, you know, right. It's like we're in very different stations in life. Though I will say I found this kind of little interesting nugget about her biography that kind of does circle back to Judaism, which is that before she like encountered all this radical political thought in Russia and like she moved to St. Petersburg and like high school age, it sounds like. Um, even before that, like the first story that really inspired her was a biblical one about Judith, who is a non-canon Jewish woman who in the story, the Assyrians are attacking the Jews. Judith like is all clever and like works her way into the camp of the Assyrians through her like wit and charm. And then she eventually beheads the king and then goes and shows everyone. And then the Assyrians leave which I think is like a a not bad way to capture what Emma Goldman was usually trying to do, which is like sometimes literally kill someone, sometimes just like ideologically do it, but just like kind of go right at the heart of the sign of power and like do something really drastic against it in the hopes that people will like see something totally new. Um, so yeah, yeah not no, exactly. She, that's, that's what propaganda, the idea of propaganda of the deed is supposed to be like, yo, look, I got his head. Like, we can do this. Yeah. I, I got it. Like you can do this. Yeah. yeah. I killed my president so you could kill yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can too. Which, I mean, that makes a shit. I mean, okay. Imagine you're just like 15 or 16 or whatever. You read that story and you're like, oh, I kind of agree with that. That's kind of cool. And then you're yeah. walking down the street and then you just hear that like, oh yeah, some people just blew up the czar. Yeah. Like that no, would, totally. that would have a pretty significant imp- cuz sh- that would mean that she probably like saw it in whatever order or whatever and then like the thing happened in real life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so anyway, all that combined like her skepticism of Israel, of religion, of like male authority, of mainstream politics, like there's just there's like not a lot you can draw from her unless you're willing to go outside of the center of politics and I think like Frankly, once Jew- yeah, once Jews like really assimilated, they didn't want to be out there as hard as much, at least in the places that we were. Yeah, we were learning. What right. And she's was. not a figure that you can kind of like 
conveniently cut around the stuff you don't like. Like it's all all the good stuff is just right there. So if you don't want yeah. to like exp- uh-huh. tell kids the ideas of anarchy or whatever, like you can't really then you can't talk about her. like yeah, like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, she's just some lady. You know, she's born over there, and then uh, then she got a stroke. So yeah, <laughs> well, and she also didn't have like. Because it's kind of interesting to th- compare her to, like, a Martin Luther King where, like, you know, Martin Luther King also had some pretty radical ideas, but, like, he was somehow successful enough as a figure that, like, I don't know. He, like, people you, you people had to figure out a way to talk about him in a palatable way. Right? Yeah. But they just did it in a, like, they chose the more, the softer edges of like, yeah. what he was actually talking about by the end there. But, like, Emma didn't never, like, you know, was leading millions of people marching and so i don't know i feel like they, there wasn't quite as much of a need to like construct a convenient way to figure out how to deal with her historically she just was kind of like big and then she wasn't and people just pushed her from historical memory yeah and i think it's also because we also in w- overall i think we don't get a very good education about like the history of the labor movement in the u.s no, why would we? Um, why, would why would we? we? And also, I mean, like, and that's not to say that, like, oh, all these people are, like, the labor movement in the U.S., all around the world, but especially in the U.S., is, like, horribly racist. And, like, uh, there's a lot of really fucked up stuff going there, which is why she's also a very interesting character because she's a little bit – she's she's not just, like, an anarchist of her time. She's kind of a, ahead of the curve on a lot of things. She was, like – totally. Um, she was, like, one of the only people who was, like, saying that, like, she was basically like, look, the institution of marriage is fucking stupid and all of that. So no one really should be able to get married, free love and whatever. But you also shouldn't fucking – you shouldn't fuck with gay and lesbian people. Like – and she is really interesting, too, because she writes about how it's, like, that's not something they can control. Um, Which, like, early 1900s, that's, like, a pretty – uh, yeah. advanced way of looking at the things because like even the most a lot of the most like progressive people at that time are looking at it as like some kind of aberration of sexuality mm-hmm. um, and she's ahead of the curve and looking at it like no these are just like this is who they are um, and I can't I appreciate- change sorry <laughs> I had when I was in first grade I thought that I was gay um that's a little Macklemore for you. It's been a while. Um, I, oh, what okay. I really loved about... I thought you um, were just singing a little song he oh, wrote. Uh, <laughs> no, he, in, in that song, he just says he thought he was gay, but then he just realized he wasn't because he liked girls. His mom reminded his him. Gay. His mom was like, no, yeah. honey, Macklemore, you, you love no, the No, you ladies. actually have been yeah, fucking cleaning up. <laughs> Trip. Little handsome devil. Yeah, you're going to say, bro. Yeah. <laughs> bro. Um, yes. What I appreciated a lot about Emma Goldman that I think is a rare quality in a certain kind of activist minded person is like the comprehensiveness of what she was talking about and how like she could apply her same ideals to like marriage, the economy, religion, politics, and also just like her kind of seemed like she sort of just like loved art. She loved life. She loved sex. Like she was not just this kind of like bookish, like tunnel vision, like obsessed with, you know, with like the like cause. She, I just, yeah, she was able yeah, to Yeah, I feel like she really was like had a full version of life that she thought was the right way to live and I think like that's important to remember for politically minded people is that like that is actually what you're fighting for like it's not just like a war of ideas or like my essay is going to slam your essay it's like I want like all of life to be good 
and I think that's yeah I just it's just really admirable like she hates puritanism that's one of her big things like she has all these opinions about art and drama like yeah she's just like a comprehensive thinker and like joie de vivre oh and i was just gonna say like i i was i listened to all the essays and like i didn't not everything total i didn't comprehend everything since i was doing stuff but one of them it really felt like one of her main points was just like man rich people be buying ugly ass art (laughs) (laughs) just kind of circles back to what we were talking about at the beginning yeah have you seen some of this shit wow it looks bad (laughs) i think um i think one of the things i really like too is how much she hates like um she kind of hates the people who are like Puritan revolutionaries, and she kind of like hates the people who are like weird. I would call them like the weird college revolutionary, where it's like if you're not constantly thinking about these things, then you're just like a fucking poser. And she's just mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be miserable like you, you fucking nerd. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, which I, I that's and I think overall that's one of the things I appreciate about a lot of. Uh, anarchist thinkers and sort of the way and the philosophy as a whole which is the ultimate goal of it is like freedom and joy right yeah. right hence, and, hence and the dancing quote yeah and you kind of have to believe in a certain amount of like human goodness to think it'll all work like you have to, like people are capable of more and being good to each other they just like have to not be being oppressed so hard that they have no way to show it right like people with her politics get accused of being cynical a lot when in reality mm-hmm. it's like no it's the people who are cynical or the people who are like actually we can't have anything better than what we already have like she's like right. if anything like sort of an idealist totally a lot of anarchism is is utopian philosophy and I think that's also why states in general, left, right, or whatever, they really hate that kind of ideology because at the end of the day, what a lot of these people are advocating for is basically that like the structures that rule your life are the only thing stopping you from experiencing like a truly fulfilling and like awesome life. And then which like, okay, fine, that's essentially what religion teaches. Uh, and then the kind of step Honestly, that anarchism goes is like, and also those walls that they have in front of you are flammable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can actually yeah. just, you know, if if you find structures that you don't like and are feel are oppressing you in your life, you're allowed to fucking take them down. And you Well, should. yeah, but the, I mean, the lesson from the, the what's it called? The, who's, who's the guy they tried to kill? Frick. Yeah. The Frick man or like any Frickman. of that. Mr. Frickman. is, But it's like, yeah, you, you can like. You can and should tear down these structures, but like you got to be strategic about it, or else you'll just fuck up, and it won't yeah. work. Well, and she talks about how like, or at least her version of anarchy that she's sort of like, it's not like there's this one size fits all. Like here are the five steps. It's sort of like it depends on how uh, how oppressed and what ways you are oppressed, like what you need to do. You right. Know, right. Depends on what the society looks like. It's more of just like a. It's more. It's like more of a lens than like an exact prescriptive. Like here's the best way to set up the world. Yeah, and I think that's uh, and that's also probably because of the time too, right? Like you can go even just within Europe. Like there are nations that are wildly different in their structure of like how they yeah. do anything. Like you know, the area that would become Germany is like in the process, sort of of like, all right, we're kind of gonna set up a. Uh, like a Congress to rule alongside the Kaiser um, where 
not very far away, r- the Russian Empire is still just like uh, absolute power. I just get to tell people when they live, when they die. Um, you know, we're still not. The Russian Empire was also still trying to figure out ending slavery. Was that a good thing? Like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I feel like just to bring this a bit to the present, I, as I was going through all this, I couldn't help but think of kind of the summer of 2020 and the little kind of anarchistic experiments that sprung up in like Minneapolis and Seattle, or was it Portland? Where is the cap? The Seattle. Yeah, Seattle. Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, Chaz. Just sort of like, yeah, in the midst of like, you know, a pretty thoroughly nationwide moment of civil unrest, like these spaces like George Floyd Square in Minneapolis and the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle sort of sprung up that operated in a somewhat anarchistic way where they were just sort of like, this is this is our space. Like, you can't just decide that, you know, we don't get to do here, be here. People like sharing books, medicine, working together to keep it secure and so on. And I don't know. It was just sort of an interesting to see, like, some of those ideas that we were reading about fully being acted out in the midst of these real moments of change and you know both of those places were fleeting like both of the you know the police kind of busted them up in various ways and they're not what they were at the height of 2020 but i don't know i think it it was like inspiring to see people taking life in their own hands and like trying to set up spaces that worked worked differently than everything else that they normally get yeah and i think it's worth noting too that since the summer of 2020 i know mutual aid has been something that's been at a lot of the uh, people's tongues tip it's people's tongues and people are sort of starting to like put their that or hear that idea and come together and i think not even all the people know that that's like a thoroughly anarchistic idea um yeah that was originally coined by peter kropotkin who they call the prince of anarchists kind of a funny (laughs) a a moniker because he was a russian prince but um uh but he wrote a book initially that was just about how like different species kind of function and benefit each other in nature and then he had this moment where he was like oh fuck we could do that Uh like in a society and that would actually be a much freer and much better society and kind of just yeah. took that idea to realizing, like, I think everyone who is poor should demand the things that they need from the people who have too much. Um, yeah. Which, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's personally, other people may disagree. I personally, I hope that's also what people take from engaging, engaging in mutual aid. Yeah. Um, is, well, certainly. And just that it can happen, like, so fast. That's what. Or it's like you just think about the chaos of like how slow and too little too late a lot of the like government stimulus stuff was where it's just like watching the speed of mutual aid play out is sort of like you can say what you need and in days, hours, people are coming being like, hey, okay, like, yeah, let's let's make it happen. Um, if you want to, uh, listeners and you guys, if you want to read a book that is essentially all about that, uh, 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 A Paradise Built in Hell by Rebecca Solnit is a fucking amazing book that's just all oh, about yeah I really want to read that. uh all about people who just like uh a disaster happens and literally within hours they're putting together relief efforts that are more effective and more just than like what um, honestly like any state could even possibly hope mm-hmm. to do even highly centralized and controlled ones like you know, I think of, like, the tsunami response in Japan and whatever, and, like, it's good or whatever, but there was still a couple days where nobody really knew what was happening. 
Um, and there were people on the ground there too, just like figuring out what the fuck to do. Yeah. Um, which is what we do as humans most of the time, actually. Most of the time, we just figure out what we need to do. Right. That's kind of where I ultimately landed on this, where I'm sort of like, I don't, either through a lack of ideology or a lack of just courage, I don't think I'm ever going to be the one to do the propaganda of the deed thing, whether that's like literally, you know, <laughs> killing someone or you know, or just, you know, taking the most like radical action that I could to over yeah. throw the bad stuff going on. Like, I just don't know if that's going to be me, but I think it's like having this thinking be like a healthy part of the mix, I think is a very valuable thing. Um, and like mutual aid is a wonderful thing. And, you know, even if I don't know, because I think there's like you do have to it is a somewhat utopian philosophy. And it kind of if you don't have faith that that could happen, it's sort of hard to get all the way on board with it. But mm-hmm. I think it's like, I don't know, I just ultimately reading all this, I just felt like, yes, it's an important it should definitely be in the mix. And like, it's good that someone wants that, even if I don't always want that. Like, again, to come to 2020, like, you know, I probably, if I was on the ground in Minneapolis, I was not going to be the one burning down the police station. But like, if any sort of important reform comes out of all this, it will be because somebody burned down the police station, not because somebody was just marching. Right. Yeah. That's kind of the, um, that's, I think that's also the value overall of like kind of more intense anarchists and and activists like that which is uh again will burning down the police precinct abolish the police no um unless you do it to all of them but again like (laughs) (laughs) um but will like you said will the will meaningful change happen in part because someone had the uh had the spirit and the uh and the resolve to the do what they felt. Yeah, to do what they felt like. And that's the other thing, too, I think that it's easy to forget. It's not so much burning down the police precinct as it is do a, a extension of doing what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And, like, in this case, it's that. And that's sort of what later activists have sort of tried to make propaganda of the deed into. But I do think it's most fun when it's like, nah, you're just talking about blowing someone away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're talking about killing kings and czars, buddy. Like, I love how like euphemistic it is too. It's like the idea about the thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? Like, wanna wanna elaborate on what the deed is? No, no, no thanks. Just, just give me a gun. Deed. I'll show you. Yeah, I think it's I think it's self-explanatory. The deed, <laughs> deed, deeding. So yeah, I mean, John, you got anything else about uh, old Emma Emma or? No, I mean, I listened to all those. Uh... Those essays, they were kind of, I don't know, there's a lot of, like, ideas that I already kind of have made their way into my brain that, like, I probably start, like, have heard it from people who are, like, regurgitating, like, her and, like, Marx and et cetera. But, yeah, it was cool. She was just, like, talking about how capitalism is bad and inherently, like, hierarchical. Just kind of interesting. I don't know, because it's, like, you... Like, there's certain, I don't know, there's people who identify as, like, anarcho-capitalists or whatever, but it's Don't like, fucking talk to them. <laughs> Do not gotta, fucking talk to them. It'll be five minutes of, of them talking about property law, and then it's going to get into some weird age of consent stuff. Yeah, but sometimes you gotta, <laughs> sometimes you gotta find out which monkey to buy. Uh, yeah, the anarcho-capitalists are, like, yeah, they're also right, often like, Nazis. <laughs> yeah, 
But it's like, I don't know, it's just interesting because it's like anarchism and communism are kind of these two ideas that are similar, but also kind of contradictory, but then also... Yeah, it's kind of funny because people will exist in those same circles and then no matter what happens, they'll eventually end up getting into a fight because <laughs> yeah. they're kind of not super um, compatible ideas. Yeah. It's because they have different – because there's that one famous anarchist novel, What What Is To Be Done? Yeah. I forget who wrote that. But I feel like that's ultimately – like the fight is about that question. Yeah. It's like what is to be done and how how should we do it? Um, and some people say one thing and some people say the other thing. Um, yeah. Or you can agree on what is to be done, which is like overthrow the current order. But like after that, I don't know. Right. It's like yeah. how. It, and yeah. eventually it comes down to like, well, okay, he's going to be walking – and taking a left onto this street, so you just gotta get to him. Like eventually, it's just logistics. Like you just gotta figure out how to murk this motherfucker. But <laughs> right, that's true. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I will also say my uh, another great thing about anarchism throughout the ages. Is I think we personally get the best slogans and the best symbolism mm. out of most social movements. That that A is dope. I do love that A. Yeah, I'm just looking through her these essays and like one yeah, one of them's called like Prisons of Social Crime and Failure and it's just like all just stuff that's still super relevant and her explaining how yeah. prisons don't work and how fucked they are. And like, oh wow, it's, this, a, it, yeah. it's just still right on the fucking money. And it's still it's that's still a pretty radical idea today. So it's just amazing to think like how much how hot what she was saying was at the time. Oh like, yeah. And just the fact that she kept she just was undeterred for like 50 straight years yeah i think it's i can't remember which essay it's into she also talks about how uh in one of them about how like the status quo will like no matter what happens will always favor fascists over like revolutionaries and it's just like wow like she kind of like got that real quick and she was born before fascism existed yeah well you think so before the idea of Benito Mussolini is the one who thought of the name fascism. For sure. I feel like that, yeah. like, people have, have been doing fascist shit since... Oh, they've, yeah, since, since forever. Since the time, yeah. but yeah. Since, uh-huh. um, sure. Well, really, since people decided that, like, hey, what if I had this thing, but you didn't? Yeah, since, like, a caveman smashed another caveman over the head of the rock because he wanted a, a bigger rock. Yeah. I don't know. All right, I should go in a few. Do we have any uh, final final words? If you're going to fucking try to do propaganda of the deed, just cross your T's and dot your I's. We don't want to have to... Do not say you heard about it on Smite Me. Yeah, <laughs> do not. Don't, don't tell anybody you heard about it here. Blame Emma Goldman. She's already dead. Yeah. Um, also, if you are going to do anything like that, like ask the people you're advocating for first. I don't think for the sure, yeah. would have told Berkman, like, yeah, go murk that fool. I think if he had waited another year, then maybe... If he had just hung yeah. out at the fucking strike camp for a while and then kind of, like, brought it up, I feel like after a certain point they would have been like, you know what? You seem pretty into this. Why don't you go murk that motherfucker? I'm, yeah. I'm kind of – I'm thinking – we can close in a sec, but I'm just thinking about the incident where Berkman walked right in there. And it's kind of giving me flashbacks to, like, when we were talking about Moses and walking right into Pharaoh's castle and making demands just, just on the basis of, like – how did he get in there? How did he get to the point oh, where he was just he said he walking was a, he right was an up? agent for scabs. He was like, oh, I can help you find some great scabs. Damn. Oh, is that funny. easy? Which is hilarious because like, he probably had like a thick Russian accent. Yeah, I know where all of these scabs well. are. I know very good scab bar. We go. 
We're fine. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also yeah. funny that that's like its own version of like, if I were a fucking weird manager or whatever, like red flags immediately just being like, hey, I heard you guys were looking for scabs. I mean, uh, workers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard you were looking for dirty fucking betraying scabs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just walking in with a weird cap being yeah. like, hello, fellow capitalists. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that. It's that for sure. Yeah, damn. It's like pre 9 11 airports where they're like, wow, like you really just let them walk right in. Yeah. When they're like, whoa. It's like, I'd like to see the chief now. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, my closing word, I would say, is there's kind of an interesting essay she wrote like two years before she died called Was My Life Worth Living? And she kind of just like runs through all the things she was about. And then in the end, it's kind of just like, yes. <laughs> and, it was in, it was, and it was in Harper's and they were kind of and they introduced it being like, we don't believe in this, but like Emma Goldman is interesting. So here's what she has to say. And then she basically died right after writing it. So like, <laughs> if you want to just have a very basic primer on like what she was about and what she thought about it after con- considering her whole life, that's a good one. And I agree. I think she lived a worthy life. Yeah, I think um, I think we I think we can like without any sense of irony, we can like thank her for kind of what she did. Um, yeah. And I think overall, just sort of thank the people who she was like seeking to uplift and inspire. Because boy, is there still a lot of work to do. But like, uh, you you know, uh, it's not good where we're at now. But it's good that children don't work in coal mines in 2022. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, right. You know, and it, people had to die to get that. Yep, to happen. It's good that like we're recording this on a Saturday, and there's not an expectation that we be at work, monitored by our bosses. You know, it's the little things. <laughs> For real. Thank you, Emma. Thank, Thank you. You. Emma. you know, I think she would have subscribed to Smite Me. I like I think to she think she. I like to think Emma Goldman would have been a believer. Um, in in this might be a podcast. believer. No, do you remember? I was making a oh. reference to the Anne Frank thing when when oh. Justin Bieber oh, yeah. went to the Anne Frank house and said, "I think, she, <laughs> yeah, I think I think Emma Goldman. Uh, I know she didn't really, um, you know, believe in the state, but I still think she would have been part of Smite Me Nation. <laughs> she would have been like this. I willingly and consent to being a citizen of That's Smite right. Me Nation." Yeah, Smite Me Nation has no obligations, only mutual agreements. That's true, yeah. actually. You so can leave smash that time. subscribe. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what's a great deed? Subscribing to Smite Me Nation. <laughs> I was going to say something about the show being propaganda, the deed, but nah. When it, when, it shows up on, when it shows up on your podcast app, it's, it's propaganda of the feed. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh my god! All right, all right. Well, wow. yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's all we got. That's all we got. We're coming back. It's good to be back in the saddle. We'll be doing Torah next. We have yeah. we have fun Torah times. And make sure that when you uh, go to change the world, you don't forget to freaking bust a move. Yeah, that's true. Make, dance. Make sure you're dancing.